It's coming. It's that time again when the freaks start to crawl out of the woodwork. They come together in one place. For one purpose. So beware. Unless, of course, you're one of them. Find out more information by going to horrorhound.com or horrorhoundweekend.com if you dare. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! <laughs> Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 28, and tonight we're going to hitch a ride with Stacy Keach across the Australian Outback when we meet up with Jamie Lee Curtis to play some road games. And then the crapshoot is back, and this time we're going to find out the dangers of not answering a chain letter and finally we're going to take a look at the brand new wide release spooktacular insidious in in insidious insidious so as you can hear we have a hell of a lot to get to so freaking let's just get down to it babies right after this fascinating promo yeah shocking suspense beyond anything before Welcome to sleep awaken. Someone is watching you. You are about to experience terror. So terrifying you've only seen it in your nightmares. Cinema. Sinistre. It's coming. Soon. Absolutely no one under 17 will be admitted. For more information, go to pennycult.com. Hey, Screamers, happy St. Me Day! Well, I'm recording this on St. Patrick's Day, so if it's not happy St. Me Day for you, I just feel sorry for you. So, what's been going on, y'all? Again, this, this once-every-couple-of-weeks format just makes me sad. I miss talking to you all. And hey, I just wanted to say regarding episode 27, uh, I was not aware that for some of you, the episode for whatever reason was coming out as a partial file. And I apologize. I said, like, if you were following me on Facebook or Twitter, the weeks I was trying to put this together, I kept saying, episode 27 is trying to kill me. And even up until the last minute, it was effing with my head. So uh, for those of you who got a partial file that ended right after the birds, the whole episode is up. It's all fixed now. Mr. Brad went in and found the bug that was screwing up the program. The bug, the bug, the the bug, the bug, the bug. Yeah, okay. The bug that was in the WordPress program that was screwing everything up. And I have to say a huge thank you to uh, listener Aaron who tipped me off. 
Uh, she sent me an email saying, hey, what's going on? I got partial file. And I'm like, what? And she was like, yeah. And I said, oh, my God. And I checked it out. And now it's all fixed. So y'all can thank Aaron for that incredible piece of entertainment that otherwise would have just been half-assed. Now you got the whole ass. Thank you, Aaron. So some fun news from last week. Um, I got a call at the last minute from my friend, the inimitable Doug Shapiro. Sorry, there's a motorcycle going by. It's not Doug Shapiro on the motorcycle, because please, he ain't that butch. But uh, I know him from The Savvy Actor, and those of you who are actors in New York City or L.A., you really need to check out SavvyActor.com, because these guys can really help out your career, take control of the business aspect of what you are, and figure out who you are, and blah, blah, blah. Are we talking about The Savvy Actor? Well, yeah, for a minute. But no, we're talking about Doug Shapiro on the phone with me. Yeah. So he calls me up, and he's like, hey, Patrick, I'm doing this reading at Manhattan Theater Source tomorrow. Can you help out? And I said, yeah, I'm free. What's it about? And he says, well, it's this, um, well, it's kind of like the vagina monologues. And personally, whenever I think of vaginas, I think of you. And I said, you know, the man doesn't even listen to my show, but I take that as a compliment. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, like, it's a stage, it's not a stage reading, but it was a reading of a new play by the brilliant Anne Bobby, who was also in the reading as well. And by the way, not only is she a gifted playwright and a talented actress, she also makes a mean red basil pesto ravioli. FYI. Now, her play was called Facts for Ladies. Now, I was excited because I was thinking, you know, like the, um, I thought, I was like, oh, good, it's a ladies' play, and we're going to do ladies' things, like press flowers and play the harpsichord and things like that. No, but it was based on one of those books, you know, those manners books from the uh, 19th century with all these odd facts and, like, rules for how to be a nice lady and everything. And I thought it was going to be campy, but it actually wasn't. It was very straightforward, and some of the stuff was fascinating and scary and uh, the woman who wrote the book actually had this fascinating life and I learned something and you know how I hate that normally but this I didn't mind learning blah so I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody involved the fabulous Ann Bobby the fabulous Doug Shapiro and also Libby Collins Fiona Jones Gwyneth Benson and the fabulous and beautiful Manhattan Theater Source what a great place to do a reading because I got to tell you a lot of times when you do a reading they're kind of well, frankly, shitholes, but this place was nice and warm and cozy and awesome. And none of you were there. Fuck y'all. You missed it. So we're leaving for Horror Hound Weekend in a week. And oh boy, it's exciting. It's exciting. Although, no, actually at this point, I am so tired right now. There's so much crap going on right now that part of me is like, I don't even want to think about going anywhere. But you know what? Once we get there, it's going to be awesome. And if you're going to be there, please drop me a note. Please say hi. Mr. Brad and I hopefully will have our awesome Scream Queens t-shirts ready by then. But if not, I'm sure we'll be doing something really asinine to make ourselves noticeable. Like, maybe wear tiaras or something. So come up, say hi. We don't bite much. And it would be nice to meet all y'all. You could buy us cocktails because that's a great way to get on our good side. Oh, and hey, you guys get to be privy to a hot off the presses announcement going on right now. This Horror Hound Weekend, for those of you who are attending, this Horror Hound Weekend is my 40th birthday. I'm hitting the big 4-0, and I plan on celebrating in style. So I invite you all to come celebrate with me. And if nothing else, come by and give me a big 40th birthday hug or one of those obnoxious cards you know, that are over the hill or something. Because that would be awesome. You'll make my day. No. Some of you will be thinking... That's funny, Patrick. You've been to Horror Hound Weekend a million times. It's never been your birthday before. Well, that's right, goddammit. It's not really my birthday. My birthday's in May. I turned 40 last year. Yes, I'm revealing my true age. Fuck y'all. But here's why. Every few years, my birthday falls on Mother's Day. That is the year that everybody forgets. 
Everybody's booked with other things. My birthday gets swept under the rug. Guess what year last year was? Actually, it's not exactly true. Last year, my 40th birthday was on the Saturday of Mother's Day weekend. Still, the effect is the same. Oh, sorry, I'm going to be out of town. Oh, no, I'm going to see my parents on Long Island. Oh, no, sorry, my mom's coming into town. Blah, 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 blah. I had a milestone life event. Nobody cared. And you can't argue, Mom. Even my mother was not available for my birthday. So, therefore, I'm making this Horrorhound weekend my very merry on birthday. Turn in the big 4-0, because guess what? This year, it is on Mother's Day, so it's going to get forgotten again. Do you want me to be neglected? Do you know how I'm going to take it out on all of you if I'm neglected? Okay, some of you probably just got turned on, but it won't be fun. I promise. Oh, yeah, and it's Mr. Braddock's birthday, too. We share the same birthday because we're that adorable, but you know what? He didn't have a traumatic milestone event happen last year. He's just old. I can edit that out, right? Moving along. Something I didn't tell you guys, I did an incredibly stupid thing. Now, uh, a lot of you know that I sing with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, and I'm very proud of that. And we've been in rehearsal for this, our next big concert, which is going to be amazing. It's called the Big Gay Sing. And every th uh, every year in the spring, they do this sing-along kind of concert. It's all pop music, and it's a lot, more, lot less formal than the Christmas concert. And we had amazing arrangements and some incredible costumes. and uh, It's going to be an amazing show. I fucked up. Because for some reason in my head, when I was with the chorus years ago, the concerts used to be in April all the time. Apparently in the five years that have been gone, now they do it at the end of March. And it took me a month and a half to realize this, long after I booked the tickets for Horror Hound Weekend, that it was the same weekend as that. So I was like, oh no, oh God, ah. I'd already spent blah, 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 hundreds of dollars on the plane tickets and you know what, they're not refundable and it's all just, so I had to back out. And I feel terrible about it. And you know what, Mr. Brad bought a ticket. And now we're stuck with this excellent ticket to the Friday night show. And that's why I'm turning to you, my beloved listeners. I want all y'all who are out there in the New York City area who are free on Friday, March 25th, and feel like flying solo to a fantastic concert, drop me a line, tweet me, write me, whatever you do, get in touch with me ASAP. The ticket is yours for free. And this concert's going to be amazing because the theme for it is Big Gay Sing 3D. Yeah, we're always in third dimensions. We're live people. But no, the 3Ds this year stand for Disco, Divas, and Now, you're probably wondering why that last one got bleeped out. It's because the third D is so scandalous, I would be sued if I said it out loud. And personally, I don't think there's any one of you out there that can't get enough So come on, I know I got some people out there in the New York City area. Please write me. Please take this wonderful ticket. Spend an evening getting filled with disco divas and because I know y'all love that. So this week, Bradford and I got to see Kathy Griffin on Broadway because we're that gay. Oh, it was so cool because the, fr the previous Friday, I had had to stop by the Actors' Equity office, you know, my union's office, just, you know, drop off some things at the credit union and stuff. And they have a free ticket wall. You know, there's random things that are trying to give away tickets. And Kathy had just added a Monday night show. She added two more performances to her eight-show run. And they were giving away next two free tickets for equity members for the Monday night show. So I jumped on that shit. Because you know what it was like to be a gay man in New York City and not be going to see Kathy Griffin on Broadway when she was in town? It's like mandatory. It's like missing Margaret Cho. It's like, it's like, it's just a bad thing. 
And so now we're there, we're in primo seats, and we are just dialing, and she was fantastically filthy. The weird thing was, though, after being so used to seeing her on all these Bravo specials, when she actually said fuck or cunt or shit, I was actually surprised to hear the words and not have a beep come out of her mouth. I thought maybe she just beeped on her own, but no, no, she could say dirty words, and she said them a lot, and she had camel toe, and she was proud of it. Yeah, I never thought I'd see a theater full of gay men cheering for camel toe, but you know, that's the magic of theater, ladies and gentlemen. The magic of Broadway. Some of you might know I was taking this class uh, with a casting director at the end of which we were going to have some meetings with agents and things like that. And we had a a scene that we were supposed to learn and everything. And the day that I was supposed to meet with the three agents, I woke up with the laryngitis bug that was going around. God damn it. Every single bug this whole fucking year I got. It's not fair. And it's like this laryngitis wasn't even a sick laryngitis. You know, there was no coughing. There was no sneezing. Just no voice. And so I'm pissed. I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing my neti pot. I'm doing my throat tea. Doing whatever I can. <laughs> Hot toddies and such. But the time came. My voice was not great. It, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't Harvey Firestein bad, but it was still pretty gravelly. What pissed me off here was normally when you do these agent meetings, you go in, you read with them. They might redirect you, have, to do, uh, have you do the scene a couple of times a couple of different ways. And then they sit down and talk with you for a couple of minutes. The whole idea being you might be talented, but you might be crazy. Or you might be an asshole, and we want to find out who you are before we, you know, even consider offering you anything. But they didn't do that here. I went and did my scene, and that was it. And it wasn't just for me. It was for everybody. Granted, there were a lot of people in the class to get through, but still, a little something. We never got to speak to them at all, and we just got handwritten notes afterwards. And every single fucking note was like, you need to work on your vocals. Your voice is very raspy, can be unpleasant to listen to. And it pissed me off, because had we been able to sit down for five seconds, I would have said, I'm sick. And I'm pushing through, goddammit. But no, so, oh well. But you know what? I made some great contacts in the class, and some of you are out there listening right now. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. How you doing? So am I better? Eh, just a little bit, but not so much. My friend Jennifer and I, speaking of free equity tickets, my friend Jennifer and I uh, went to see this show called Interviewing the Audience. Now, the whole thing, I had asked Jennifer to help me with my scene for this class. Um, since we went to the same school and we're, we're familiar with the same uh, technique, and uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. I said, hey, if you help me out with this scene, I'll take it to the show that I got free tickets for. And she was like, great. And the show, interviewing the audience, wasn't exactly a show. This guy just picks four random people out of the audience and takes them up and interviews them for 20 minutes. And it's this very artsy, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment that we're all sharing. And it did, But it was actually very interesting. But the thing that struck me, the first woman that they called up was an older woman in her 50s, maybe 60s. And she was a perfectionist, hardcore. And... She wound up complaining about a lot of things, and the guy who was an excellent interviewer says, I'm just curious, could you just take a moment and, and try to call up something either from your memory or from your imagination of a perfect moment, a moment that you thought was perfect or a moment that you would imagine to be perfect? And she couldn't come up with one at all. And I felt really sad for her because I'm thinking I have perfect moments all the time. Or things that I feel are perfect moments. And if I feel they're perfect moments, then goddammit, they're perfect moments. For instance, the night before, I was snuggled in with the cat, Sebastian, the one who's always making all the noise, not, not Tyler, the other one. And he's got his head on my chest, and he's kind of clumped to me. And he was doing this thing where he was pushing his head all the way up into my face so that his cheek was next to my cheek as I'm rubbing his belly. And we look like those lovers in 1930s Hollywood movies, you know, where they press their cheeks together and they look out into their eyes and like oh jim do come back to me you must come back to me that kind of thing and it was so silly i just said this is what it's all about to have a cat 
in ecstasy, rubbing your belly, pressed up against your face so that you could barely breathe. It was nice. And then I said, you know what? I had one 10 minutes before the show happened. Because Jennifer and I had gone to this coffee shop to work on the scene. Trust me, I'm getting to the good stuff. And as we were finishing up, I look over to where, you know, you could go and, like, put your plates and, and stuff and someone comes and takes them away. I look over and one of the women from behind the counter has, has come over to clear the plates. And this woman's a bit on the large side. And um, she's standing straight up, but a good four inches of ass crack are exploding over the top of her pants. It was like a reverse muffin top. It was amazing. And I kind of just slowly turn to Jennifer. I'm like, Jennifer, look over there. Now, Jennifer, much like Mr. Brad, she's from the South. She's very cool and collected. And she rarely, when she has a reaction to something, it's usually very, you know, proper and cultivated. And she, her eyes bulge out of her head like something out of a cartoon. You know, where like Tom, Tom and Jerry's eyes would be like, bung, 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 bung. her jaw hits the ground. Her tongue goes blah, 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 across the floor. And she just was in shock. She's staring. She held this position for what seemed like seven minutes. And all I could do was laugh. I could not stop laughing. I could not breathe. I was laughing so hard. And that was a wonderfully perfect moment. And listeners that think I'm a cynical bitch, this has nothing to do. This almost has nothing to do with the woman with the ass hanging out of her pants. That was the catalyst that called us the perfect moment. It was the look on my friend's face and me laughing so hard that I could not breathe. Moments don't get better than that. And the fact that this woman couldn't even imagine anything. God, you must be a shitty lay. That's all I got to say. Now, you might think this poor woman with her ass hanging out, she's just being left out of the whole equation now. She's just being ignored. She's there exposed naked to the whole world. And we're having this perfect moment based on her embarrassment. But you know what? For the amount of horror-based joy that you brought me and my friend Jennifer, lady with the ass crack hanging out, you are the runner-up for Scream Queen of the Week. Yeah. No, no, no. The title goes to someone who went above and beyond, who showed her true colors as a true fan of the show by letting me know that there was something wrong with episode 27 so that I could entertain you all in the proper way so that you could all have the full Scream Queen experience. Who, like a true Scream Queen, saved the day? So, Aaron, who took the time to write me one little email, you! <laughs> are the Scream Queen of the Week! Yay! Bravo, bravo, bravissimo! No tiara for you! You just get this song that's fake opera! It's opera! No tiara! That was me dying, because people always die at the end of operas. Usually in the audience. Ah! 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 Of boredom! Ah! 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 God! Oh, and speaking of dying of boredom, somebody told me months ago that Birdemic was a great movie. I think I read it somewhere. And this is the problem with uh, online communication. You know, emails, all that stuff. You cannot generally detect tone or inflection or intention. So this article might have been written in a completely sarcastic tone of voice, but, you know, there was no trailer available at the time, and so I put it on my Netflix queue. So it showed up. On my doorstep, the day before Birdemic exploded all over the media, and now everybody knows it's the worst movie ever. Oh my god. Oh my god, it is the worst movie ever. And you know me by this point. I love a bad movie. This, I didn't even, I didn't even find this a good bad movie. I found it painful. I know everybody's laughing about it and thinking it's great and everything. I found it really tedious. Really boring. A lot of people are comparing it to The Room. They're like, oh, it's even better than The Room. I'm like, I, I... The thing with The Room, it's a bad movie, but The Room was never boring. 
there was always something to scream about, but this was just tedious, and I kind of wonder about the state of filmmaking. Are people deliberately making movies this awful? Because that's what this guy, the director, is claiming he did, and I said, I don't know. He started off the movie with seven minutes of driving with nothing happening over the opening credits, which were the same, you know, four bars of waltz music repeated over and over and over and over, not to mention the Atari-style graphics and everything. It was just a bad movie. I couldn't find much to laugh about. I mean, there was stuff to laugh about, but it was so few and far between. I, I can't imagine doing this without riff tracks, which I should have done, but you know what? Fuck it. I didn't care that much. There was, however, one good thing to come out of the movie, and that was the love song. I love the fact that there is a love song from Birdemic, and it made me yearn for the days, like in the 70s, when every movie had some kind of love theme. Love theme from The Towering Inferno. Love theme from... <laughs> I don't know what all else. And... That is why, before we kick things off here today, I'm going to be sharing with you the only good thing about Birdemic. Feel free to sing along, because we're hanging out with our family. Gonna have a good time. Gonna have a party. Why don't I let him sing it? Everybody's wishing that she's fixing their favorite dish. Just hanging out, hanging out, hanging out with the family, having ourselves a party. Just hanging out, hanging out, hanging out with my family, having ourselves a party. Just hanging out, hanging out. Hello, so Fama starts to dancing and Grandma starts to prancing to make sure that the fellas don't try any glancing. Guess what, screamers? It's time for me to expose myself. Well, Expose another one of my dark obsessions. Yeah, for those of you who are new to the show, dark obsessions are movies that I have always, 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 always wanted to see. Things that have haunted me since childhood, but for one reason or another, I've never been able to until now. It's all about fantasy fulfillment, bitches. Okay, so the dark obsession selection for this episode is the 1981 thriller Road Games, starring Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis in her own self, directed by Richard Franklin. Um, let's just play the trailer. Road Games. What the hell? The truck driver plays games. (laughs) 
the hitchhiker plays games. Aren't you kind of young to be hitchhiking out here all by yourself? Aren't you kind of old to be picking me up? And a killer is playing the deadliest game of all. Oh, he's just killed a girl. Did he make love to her first? I don't know. What's the difference? It makes a lot of difference. I think in order to play the game properly, we have to know what he thinks of women. Stacy Keach has quit. No, no, it's Q-U-I-D. D is in death, the young girls, you cretin. Jamie Lee Curtis is Hitch. Uh, now you're uh, looking for a little adventure. Huh? I could go to Disneyland for a little adventure. What I'm looking for is a little excitement. <gasps> Road games. Across 1,600 miles of desert highway, they're playing games of violence and sudden death. Someone doesn't stop soon. There won't be anyone left alive to play. Road games. Okay, I don't want to spend a heck of a lot of time talking about this movie because it turns out it's not a horror movie. However, I do want to spend a little time talking about it because it's a pretty damn good thriller. Now, as probably guessed, uh, as you probably guessed from the trailer, Stacy Keach is this uh, solo truck driver driving through Australia doing long hauls. And there's also a serial killer on the loose who's strangling hitchhikers, female hitchhikers, along the way. And they seem to be following the same route. Of course, Stacey Keach comes under suspicion. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a hitchhiker. So, you know, there you go. It just kind of all fits together like that. I always assumed this was a horror movie because, you know, back in the 80s, whenever they were talking about Jamie Lee Curtis being the scream queen, there was like, oh, yeah, she's in Halloween and Prom Night and Terror Train and Road Games. Three of these I've seen and seen a lot. There's other one I could never find. It never popped up on cable. I never saw it in a video store. And over time, I forgot about it. And over time, I heard it wasn't that great and it was not really worth seeing. But then it popped up on cable, so I DVR'd it. I'm glad that I did because I had a good time. Now, most of the movie depends on Stacey Keach. There's a lot of time with him alone in the truck with his dingo, who's awesome. His dingo didn't even have to eat a baby to be awesome. He just had to just sit around and be cool. But yeah, Stacey Keach is all by himself and he wears really tight pants. I mean, really, really tight leather pants the whole time. And I'm like, damn, girl. And, um... Can I just say, when I was a kid, when this movie came out, I thought Stacey Keach was a woman. Did anyone else think Stacey Keach was a woman when they were a kid? Or is that just me? If there was any doubt about his gender, the tight leather pants pretty much cures any doubt there. Woof. Like I said, this isn't a horror movie. It's, a, it's not even a tight thriller, but it's a charming thriller. There's only one kill in it towards the beginning, and it, it's, it's moodily shot. You know, he strangles these girls with um, guitar wire, I believe it is. And while much of it is Stacy Keach alone in his truck, he plays games to keep himself amused while on the road, which I appreciated because, you know, being an actor, I've done a lot of time in tour buses and driving tour vans and, you know, these long hauls when everybody else is asleep and you've got to keep yourself amused. I'm like, yep, I know that game, making up stories about the people in the other cars and all of a sudden you're having conversations as them. It's really weird. And I'm like, I'm right there with you, borderline insanity, but then again, so is podcasting. Huh. 
Something else that I liked about this as well was that the other people in the cars were with him for pretty much the whole movie. Uh, Because it's Australia. It's the Outback. Where the hell are you going to turn off? And it reminded me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. When I I remember when I was driving through Texas, for instance, which is a... If you haven't driven through Texas, it takes forever. Plus 10. And I I got to know the people in the cars around me. Well, I got to know them in my head anyway. And they became my friends in my head. And... (laughs) You know, if somebody would all of a sudden disappear or I'd see them turn off, I would mourn them. I'd be like, oh, there goes saggy-titted Botox mom. Oh. So I like that these, these supporting characters in the other cars were with were there for the whole movie. Although they all show up for the finale in this in this it's almost cartoonish when they when they stop the killer, like all the people that are in the crowd, all the other people that are in the cars, and it just it's a weird Scooby-Doo kind of ending. But but Mr. Brad was was saying it's kind of ridiculous that these people are driving next to him the homeboy and you're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. They're his friends. You don't understand. And he just said, no, I suppose I don't. Crazy person. Eventually, he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, and this is where the movie really picks up in a direction that I didn't expect. The banter between the two of them is almost whole, uh, it's got this old school Hollywood charm to it. Like it was almost Hitchcockian. There was just this great chemistry between them, a playfulness to this whole mystery-solving, kind of Nick and Nora Charlesy, and I liked it. The problem is the movie kind of dies in the last quarter. It just loses momentum once Jamie Lee Curtis is not no longer in the truck. I'm not going to say what happens to her. And the killer's not that scary. Actually, he's not that scary at all. He kind of looks like Ringo, an ugly version, an even uglier version of Ringo Starr. Like if Ringo Starr had a baby with Jeffrey Rush. That's kind of what you got. He's kind of goofy looking. But however, in this last quarter, when he's up, when Stacey Keach is just driving by himself trying to catch this guy, and he's not sleeping, and he's starting to hallucinate, you do get a one-second shot of a giant monster kangaroo head, which was awesome and completely random. And I was thinking with the rest of the movie, but it was glorious. And I, I, I recommend this. It's a slower movie. It's like 20 minutes too long, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was a good Sunday night, uh, Sunday afternoon watch. Mr. Brad liked it too. So it's approved for Mr. Brad fans out there. You know, for those of you who don't really like scary movies that much, this is a good one. And it just goes to show you, sometimes when you have a dark obsession fulfilled, it's all your dreams come true. Sometimes it leaves you in tears. And sometimes it's a surprise. Surprise! Well, Breaker 1-9, this here's a rubber duck. You got a copy on me, Big Ben? Come on. Boy, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we got us a convoy. was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is heading for Bear on I-10, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, Pig Pen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. Back off them hogs. Good, 10-4, about five miles or so. 10, Roger, them hogs is getting intense up here. Hold on to your pampers, bitch asses. It's time for the crap shoot. 
Now, for the uninitiated, the crapshoot portion of the program is when I dive headfirst into the vast sea of direct-to-DVD horror movie releases in search of that diamond in the shit pile. Did I find it this week? I don't know. I'm not telling you yet. Well, this week's selection is Chain Letter. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you'll know I'm going into Chain Letter with a huge bias because it is directed by Dion Taylor. Dion Taylor directed another one of my crapshoot selections, Dead Tone, which, if you heard me talk about it, well, let's just say I was very, very honest. Which means I fucking hated it. No, let's just say it fucking pissed me off. So I sat my ass down on the couch, I fired up the DVD player, and I said in my best Tom Atkins, thrill me. But for you, I'll just play the trailer. Chain letter. Junk mail. We all get them. We all got these chain letters. But what would happen if the next one you received... Break the chain, lose a life? Behind this, and I think I know what he's doing. There's a virus that I found in my phone. We all have it. He's watching us. Where is he? Tracking us online. He knows whether or not we yeah. pass it on. The one. Every hook is a life. So, did that trailer end abruptly or what? Yeah, well. Okay, like I said, I'm going into this movie with a huge bias. When I was reviewing Dead Tone, I found out that it sat on the shelf for at least five years before somebody picked it up to distribute it on DVD. Then back around Halloween time, there were so many horror movies coming out, like more than usual, that I was finding it hard to cover them all. You know, there was Saw, there was Paranormal Activity, there was Case 39, there was at least two others coming out and some major DVD releases as well. And then as I was walking through the subway, I saw a poster for this, Chain Letter, getting a theatrical release. I had heard nothing. I had seen nothing. Really, you could not have asked for a more unattractive poster. Uh, you wouldn't even know what the movie was about because it, it's just a figure of somebody lying on the ground wearing ugly plaid pajamas, facing the camera. Like, the closest thing to the camera is the feet. And it's one foot in particular, and it's all nasty-looking and wrinkly and dirty. And if you look really, really closely you'll see that there are chains on the person's uh, hands and feet. And if you look even more closely, there's a barcode stamped over, you know, superimposed all of, over all of this. So this is telling me nothing about the film. And personally, maybe it's just me. I don't want to go see your nasty foot movie. Okay? Because I'm picturing, you know, with this whole wave of 3D, I'm going to be sitting in the movie theater and this big, ugly, nasty, nappy foot is going to be coming at me in the third dimension, and I can smell it through the screen, and I'm not going. So I didn't, so I ran at it, but we know that already. Let's move on. I went and I Googled it. I went to this, the official movie website, and the first thing the trailer says, 
from the mind of Dion Taylor. Like, I'm supposed to know who that is. I'm like, who the fuck is that? So immediately I find out this is the same guy who did Dead Tone, which as I have established, I fucking hate it. Then I researched a little further and found out that this movie was actually made before Dead Tone and it sat on the shelf for even longer. So I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a piece of crap. So I skipped it at the time. It's now on a DVD. I sit down and I watch it and it's not good. It's not as bad as Dead Tone. It's bad in different ways. However, also on the website, this movie was touted as a glorious throwback to the golden age of 90s slashers. I'm sorry, was there a golden age for 90s slashers? I mean, aside from Scream, one good movie does not a golden age make. I mean, I know what you did last summer was okay. And I guess there was a glut of other nondescript. It wasn't a golden age. Here's the problem with this movie. You have a simple enough plot. Okay, here's the story. These kids get a chain letter, although technically it's a text, so it's not really a letter, but okay. And it says, you know, you base the chain letter stuff. We are all links in a chain, break the chain, lose a life. You must forward this to five people. Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them die, some of them don't. Are you surprised? No. Okay, that's exactly what you expected. It's a slasher movie. That's really all you need. However, the writers and the director feel this need to pile on all this other crap that's just that it's crap i see what they were trying to do they were trying to take a slasher movie to a new level make it more intelligent make it more global make it more relevant which they might have been able to do had they not done it with a sledgehammer because by doing what they do they take all the mystery out of it during the opening credits we're bombarded with this barrage of news clip footage that's complaining the basic gist of it is technology is evil We're hearing news reports about computer viruses and, you know, major global hacking problems and headlines that say, is technology ruining America? And people complaining, is this the kind of technology that we want our kids to have? Will our kids be safe with this kind of technology? And interspersed with this was this specific story that they keep bringing up about this Iraqi troop, uh, a U.S. troop in Iraq, the special ops unit that had their entire plan foiled and the whole troop was killed because one soldier was required to carry a cell phone and the enemy picked up his GPS signal and everybody got slaughtered except for this guy who came back hideously burned. They keep coming back to this and they're like, I wonder who the killer's going to be. I wonder if it's going to be a horribly burned Iraq war vet. And he's doing this because technology is evil. Had it ended there, it would have been fine. But the movie comes in, even before the credits, it comes in really pompous. I've never seen a slasher movie open with a quote from Nietzsche. And why this quote from Nietzsche is included is beyond me, except it includes the word chain. Life is a dark chain of events. Okay. And if this isn't bad enough, apparently Nietzsche... Couldn't get enough of his point across, so we had to have a quote from Dion Taylor that says, We are all connected. Shut up! That used to be the slogan for New York Telephone. We're all connected, New York Telephone. I'm, I'm already irritated. Now, before the credits roll, we get to see this, you know, snitzy-looking couple, uh, you know, middle-aged couple, you know, very elegant, very, ri- very clearly very rich, getting up and getting prepared. You get to see the woman taking a shower, so you get a little side boob. They're getting ready for their big yuppie day at work. And 
As they're doing this, you find out that in the garage is that poster person in the plant pajamas. She, uh, she's waking up. She's like, oh, my goodness, I'm in chains, and I've got duct tape all over my head and face. Oh, no. And then we realize the chains, which are connected to her arms and legs, are connected to those cars. And the other two people are getting ready for work. And, oh, my goodness, is this person going to get pulled apart by chains? I don't know, because we cut to the opening credits, which I've already discussed. Now, I got confused here. Because while they're getting ready, you're hearing about uh, on the news reports about the rash of teen deaths in town and how you really need to keep an eye on your teens and how all these people have disappeared. And so when the movie starts, it's jumped back in time, but it never tells you that. So a long time I'm going, why is nobody talking about the dead teens? What's going on? And then I realized, oh, okay, that didn't happen yet. Yeah, it's a flashback. You know, this was already so backlogged with information. From all this crap in the credits. You can just tell me that little bit of information that we're now. It's like a week earlier or something. Whatever. So these kids get these texts. And, well, I, I've told you already. They don't, they don't pay attention to them. And they die. But here's where it gets interesting, at least. Because the kills in this, well, they're all done with chains. Because we have to hammer home chains whenever possible. They're brutal. There is some stuff in here I have never seen before. And the special effects are practical. And they are Wonderfully done. I give a huge credit to the special effects team and whoever came up with these kills because every single one of them, I was like, damn. Wow. That was disgusting. The problem is you got to sit through a lot of boring bullshit to get through them. And oh my God, even the score is obnoxious. The score is one of these musical scores that never lets up and everything is over dramatic. Every single second is dun 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 dun. And you know, meanwhile, it's like people eating lunch. Just relax on the score. You don't need to spoon feed me all of the emotions that I'm supposed to be feeling because right now I'm just getting irritated by you. The first kill of the teens in particular is spectacular. Spectacular. Because this guy does things with chains I never thought of. And he gets these chains around this dude's head. And he just, I don't even, he just saws through the guy's skull with these chains. And I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this, but I hope, the clip will be on YouTube eventually. It'll spare you watching the whole movie because you don't need to do that. And like I said, this guy feels the need, this screenwriter feels the need to hammer home the word chain as much as possible. You know, Whenever these kids get an email, you hear the little AOL voice, you've got mail, except it doesn't say you've got mail. It says you've got chain mail. What? That doesn't even make sense. And so in all the murder scenes, that you know, they find the chain, the pieces, there's always a little piece of chain left, and the chain has this weird symbol inscribed on it, and the police are trying to investigate that. And I'm just going to talk about the cast for a minute because the cast actually is rather interesting. First of all, you got Brad Dourif who's always great. He's got a small role as a teacher in this high school, and apparently he's the anti-technology teacher. Because if we didn't get it from the opening credits and the various rants on TV that we've been seeing throughout this film, we get to sit through another like five-minute lecture from Brad about how technology is evil, and how it's taken over your lives, and you can't survive without technology, and one day technology is going to be turned against you, and blah, 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 blah. But he's great because he's Brad Dorf and he's creepy. Also, we've got... Keith David. Keith David is always cool. He plays the police detective investigating this, and he's cool, and you can see he's scrambling to do what he can to make his part better. 
to make this movie better. And he does what he can. But for me, he made the movie great. Because, you know, this all has to end in a warehouse. Some weird deserted warehouse that for some reason has chains hanging from the ceiling everywhere. Like the sea of chains for no apparent reason. But the movie also wanted to be Saw. It wanted to be a slasher movie and a Saw film. So we have to have some creaky warehouse with water dripping and clanky chains and whatever. But however, as he's walking through this warehouse, he keeps calling out, Mr. Bradford! Mr. Bradford! Mr. Bradford! And deep down in my little heart of hearts, I kept hoping that my Mr. Bradford would come out from the other room and be like, what? Why do you keep calling me? It didn't happen, but you know, I kept rewinding it anyway, just in case it would. Um, also in the cast is Noah Segan, who I've been seeing a lot of this year. Uh, he's the guy who is in Dead Girl, he was in All About Evil, yay! And he was in um, Someone's Knocking in the Door, which I reviewed a few episodes ago. And uh, he's only in this for a bit, and he dies spectacularly. And he does what he does, he's got his creepy eyes, and he's a creepy dude, and that's why you hire him. Uh, who else do we have? We've got Betsy Russell, who was in the Saw films, you know, she's Jigsaw's wife. But I'm sorry, Betsy, you're always going to be in cheerleader camp for me. That was your tour de force. And she's, unfortunately, she's as bland as she is in the Saw movies. And I said, give this bitch some pom-poms and make her jump around. It has nothing to do with the story, but it would entertain me. And finally, there's Nikki Reed. I don't know who the fuck she is, but apparently she was the big draw. She's the heroine, and she was in the Twilight movies. Hooray for her. Now, I got a little confused. I was starting to get a little confused because I was starting to wonder, is there something supernatural going on or is there some kind of other technology going on? Because whenever these kids were getting stalked, there was always this moment when the, the camera would go staticky. The kid would put their hands to their head and be like, oh, oh. And I'm going, are they being tracked somehow? Is it some sort of, is it a ghost? Or is, do they have a chip in their head like Spike from Buffy? I don't know. It turns out I, don't, I, I, I have no idea. I don't know why that happened. Technology's evil! That's what happened. And that's the problem with this film. It just keeps adding stuff and adding stuff and either not following up on it or not finishing it out. So, okay, we finally get to see the scene with the person in the plaid pajamas. Well, they die. All the kids die. Sorry, spoiler! Because guess what? This movie's crap. It's spoiler time and the movie doesn't end. Because you know why? It wasn't just a killer here. It wasn't just that lone, burnt, Iraqi veteran. Oh, no, no. He's part of a cult. Yeah, a cult. An anti-technology cult. Now, it does turn out that this town that this is taking place in, it says it's the, the new Silicon Valley. This is where all these, these great technologies are coming from. And I said, okay, that kind of makes sense that they're attacking this town and these kids, but they don't really... Going to, it also explains why these kids are always alone in these gigantic mansion houses with no parents ever visible. But but I just have one more thing to add on this note. I realize the movie was filmed like seven years ago, but for a movie that's all about technology and the evil advances in technology, they all had really fucking old phones. I mean, really, really old, big phones. They mentioned an iPhone once, but clearly that is an insert that was stuck in later. Because at no point do you see anything with a touchscreen. Do you see? You don't see anything. It's all that blue, you know, the screens that would light up in blue with the big chunky buttons. Yes, the technology of 2002 is terrifying. Child, please. Yeah, so it's a cult. Nothing gets wrapped up. We're left wide open for a sequel. And really, who the hell cares? This movie's crap. Thumbs down. The only reason I would recommend seeing this is because if you're a gore hound, the gore is spectacular in this. I can't stress that enough, and it's all practical, so yay!
for that special effects team. I suppose you can have a worse time writing it on a Sunday or, you know, just catching the best of on YouTube or whatever, but eh. It's a few good moments buried under a lot of bullshit that didn't need to be there. So, Dion Taylor, shut the hell up. You know what? Why is it, sidebar, why is it that whenever I see a trailer that starts out with the words, from the mind of, it always winds up being a piece of crap. Like, this was from the mind of Dion Taylor. I'm looking at you, M. Night Shyamalan. You love that line, from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan, that no one is going to go pay to see. Because we all know better. So filmmakers, if you're up there and coming up, don't put that. Don't, 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 don't Get over yourself. Don't believe your own press. Do not put that in the front of your movie. Because I'm already making fun of you. And you really don't want that. It's a chain letter. Skip it. Break the chain. Stop the insanity. And dance to some classic erasure. Thanks to the magical talents of George from the New York City Horror Movie Meetups Group, I was informed about an advanced screening of this new ghost story called Insidious, which I think is a great title because I think it's a great word, even though it reminds me of this movie called Inseminus, but I think that was an adult film. But we're not talking about that film. We're talking about Insidious. And uh, you know what? First of all, let's just listen to the trailer because that's what we do here. It's the rules. Ready? Yeah. Hey, sweetie. Morning, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in a coma. They don't know what to call it.
There is something in there with him. I know someone who can help. We took Trifield and EMF readings of the whole house, wiring, alarm clocks. I don't think bad wiring is the problem here. I want to leave. I want to leave this house. What is it? It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. Okay, so I walked into Insidious knowing next to nothing about it. I'd only heard about I'd only heard about it, you know, the day before, and I checked out the trailer, and I have to say, off the bat, I was not particularly enthused. Because uh, the first thing it says is from the creators of Paranormal Activity and Saw. And I said, okay, those two things don't go together in my head. And normally when a movie tells you that it's from the creators of something, it means it was like some Joe Schmo who was one of the 12 screenwriters who wrote one page of it or something. It's usually not a good sign. And as I'm watching the trailer, it looks a lot like Paranormal Activity. I'm like, wow, from the makers of Paranormal Activity, it's Paranormal Activity. But, however, I saw in the cast had Patrick Wilson, who is delicious. He is a hunky, hunky man. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't mind going looking at him for a couple of hours. But then, up pops Lynn Shay, playing the psychic. And I said, bitch, I'm sold. Because, girl, I love Lynn Shay. I loved her the second I laid eyes on her. And the two seconds that she was in Nightmare on Elm Street as the teacher. I don't know why. She's got a screen presence that I just connect with. Even when she's being all gross and all those gross comedies. And she's got, like, saggy titties and weird stuff. I let that go because I said, she's saving up money. These are the big bank movies that she could save up to do the little horror movies that nobody's heard of. Like Dead End and stuff like that. But am I jerking off about Lynn Shay? Yeah, I am. But, um... I'll stop, and let's talk about the movie. It also turns out this screening was not just a screening. It was a reception uh, because it was at an arts theater because the movie's not officially open yet, and this art, particular art theater demanded to have this movie. Somebody saw it at the Toronto Film Festival and said, we have to bring this in. And not only did they bring the movie in, they brought in Patrick Wilson and uh, the director James Wan from Saw and Dead Silence and the star and writer of Saw, Lee wan and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is cool. Apparently, anyway, so the movie is about this happy-go-lucky family. You know, it's it's Patrick Wilson and, and his wife Rose Byrne. And they move into this lovely old house, like you do in haunted house movies, with their three adorable kids. And here's a score for the film. The kids in this are actually not obnoxious. I liked these kids. Even the baby, who cried all the time. I'm like, oh, look at the crying baby. It's so cute. Probably because it's not mine. Anyway, they're not there long before weird things start to surface particularly focusing on their middle son, Dalton. And after he hits his head in the attic, things get really fucked up because the next morning, Dalton doesn't wake up. I don't mean he's late. I mean, he, the boy cannot wake up. So they take him to the hospital and they don't know what's wrong with him. Like, it's not a coma. Um, let's just observe him and stuff. And time passes by, months go by, and as time goes by... Rose Byrne starts to see things, and you know what? I really can't talk about this without spoiling it, and I am not going to spoil this film. A, because it's not even remotely open yet, and B, because this is definitely a must-see. A lot of people spout that out, but you know what? This is a must-see. This is paranormal activity for people who hated paranormal activity. For people who never get to see anything, then, then, then. Here you get to see everything. 
And what they got to show you is great. And it's an intelligent ghost movie as well. Granted, they do not reinvent the wheel. You can't. I don't think you can reinvent the ghost story. However, you can invent new tricks in the ghost story. You can infuse it with brilliant camera angles and moody atmosphere and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actors with they got. Even though Patrick Wilson, fuck you, kept his shirt on the entire time. Now, I'm sorry. Sidebar. After watching his performance in Little Children, you know, with Kate Winslet... I have grown accustomed to seeing his ass in movies. A lot. I expect him to be fully naked for the majority of the movie, for the majority of any movie that he appears in. And the fact that he doesn't have the decency to unbutton his top button in this, I'm offended. Because to misquote Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady, I've grown accustomed to your ass. But that's really besides the point. And you know what? I gotta make a confession about this movie. I am not ashamed to admit, at one certain point in the film, I shrieked and it was not a jump scare because there ain't no jump scares in this film there are shocks but they ain't jump scares you know it's no oh i walked up behind you and i'm putting my hand on you and not saying anything so you go ah none of that crap because i hate that crap i'm not telling you what happened in the scene but what happened in the scene is it's this quiet scene the mom's checking on one of the kids and they're just showing the kids sleeping in bed and it's a quiet scene and at no point do they indicate there's anything wrong not in the music Nothing. But all of a sudden, I realized there was somebody else in the room. There's this horrible, horrible face that you you wouldn't know was there unless you just happened to stumble across it, which I did. And when I did, I shrieked. I was like, ah! And then I'm the only one screaming. And after I screamed, maybe four other people did the same thing. And then for the next two minutes, everyone was like, why? Why were we all screaming? Why were we all screaming? I'm like, forget it. You missed it. And I think the movie was filled with a lot of stuff like that because in the opening credits, um, they're showing these photographs of you know the house, you know spooky angles and and you know misty hallways. But in every picture, something would move or change or something would appear, and if you weren't looking in the right spot, you would miss it. And I think there was a lot of that in this film. My only drawback is that it feels a lot like Poltergeist. There's, I mean, I mean, you got the psychic, you got. Well, I can't tell you it, but just, the, the second half feels like Poltergeist. But is that a bad thing? No. There are worse movies to feel like. And in the uh, Q&A afterwards, it was refreshing to find out that James Wan and Lee Wan-El from Saw both said, you know what? We are tired of being known as the blood and guts guys. Let's see if we can do a low-budget ghost movie that doesn't have a drop of blood in it and make it scary. And you know what? They did a great job. I just want to send out a little message to some of the other horror reviewers out there, podcasters and bloggers alike. Now, regardless of whether or not you like the movie, it's really shitty to spoil something before it's even open. That's not nice, especially if you liked it. I've read a couple of reviews like, this is the best ghost movie ever. Let me tell you everything. That ain't cool. There's a special place in hell for people like you sitting right next to my grandmama. Just a couple of other things I want to give praise for for this movie. One person I forgot to mention who was in it is Barbara Hershey. And I'm sorry, I'm still, like, in junior high, I still want to call her Barbara Hershey Squirts. But that's just me. Make of it what you will. I still see her as the crazy mom in Black Swan, so I kept waiting her to bust out and just do something weird this whole time. But she's great in it. I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, do something weird, Barbara Hershey Squirts! And then I realized I said that loud when the woman in front of me turned around and gave me a look like, Okay, I'm making a look right now, but you can't see it because this is radio. But it, it, it's very it, it's very high-class offended. Like, mm, like that. Also, this movie is PG-13. And this is another movie like 
paranormal activity like Drag Me to Hell that really pushes the limits. You don't feel like you're watching a PG-13 movie. You don't feel like anything's being held back. And maybe because it's not. Aha! Take that for psychology. And finally, this film makes the musical choice to use on the soundtrack Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim. And it is the creepiest thing ever. It's a creepy fucking song as it is, but in the movie, it's quadruple creepy. So Yahoo Tiny Tim, who sidebar, once many, many years ago, a friend, a couple of friends of mine, when I was still living in Long Island, we had nothing to do on New Year's Eve, and we went to some club, the Malibu, the Malibu Beach Club. You know, it's a big straight bar, you know, they had a relatively cheap New Year's Eve thing. Who was the big guest that year? Tiny Tim. So at midnight, he came out. Then sang tiptoe through the tulips with his ukulele and then OD'd three days later. I seem to notice this trend with me. You know, Corey Haim, I meet him at Farhan Weekend three days later. <coughs> Tiny Tim, <coughs> I've got a death curse. And an exploding vagina curse. But, well, we all have our crosses to bear. So I realize I haven't talked much about the whole movie-going experience aside from the movie. As I said earlier, this was arranged by George from the New York City Horror Movie Meetup Group. And, you know, we met at a little Irish bar beforehand, so there was a little lunchy and a little munchy and a little drinky. And then George says to me, oh, I've been listening to your show. It's so funny. How come you never talk about the meetup group? He's Argentinian. That's why I'm doing that. I don't know what, why, it, it, it's the best Argentinian I can do. And I said, George, I talk about your show all the time. He's like, I hear you talk about the other meetup group at the Dark Star, but I never hear you talk about the New York City Horror Movie. I'm like, George, I've talked about you all the time. I talked about you at the Mega Python versus Gatoroid. I've talked about you when we went to see My Soul to Take. I've told stories about how you're always running up and down the aisles like a little squirrel working your little Argentinian magic, taking us to new levels and getting us to new areas and getting us extra bonuses and getting us in early. How dare you? How dare you say I never talk about you on the show? So guess what? I'm going to talk smack about you on the show now, George. Let's get busy. All right. So we had a new member show up to the meetup group. And we know we pay dues. It's like $10 a year. And so this new member shows up. And this is nothing against the new member. He shows up, pays his $10, and George says, hey, thank you very much. And hey, since you joined the meetup group, I'm going to give you the new issue of Fangoria Magazine. Hey. Now he's Italian. My head whipped around. I'm like, excuse me? You got a copy of Fangoria Magazine? And I turned to somebody else. I'm like, so when you paid to deuce, did you get a copy of Fangoria Magazine? No. And we're like, what is this about? What is this about, George? And now he's got this whole army of people pissed off because now he's giving new, new members little treats. I see how it is. I see how it is, George. You know what? That is not the way to win Scream Queen of the Week. You have been so close so many times, but I think it's over. Done. Finito. <laughs> I didn't even read Fangoria magazine, so I don't even know why this is bothering me. So that's really all I got to say about this. this is April 1st, let's all get insidious. Who's Sidious? Forget it. Shut up.
so much for your mock concern for our health okay second of all fuck you and third of all no we do not have bieber fever however i do have beaver fever what you ask well last year i was in jody foster's beaver now wait pick yourself up off the floor everybody no 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 i was in the movie directed by jody foster called the Beaver. And before I go any further, can I just stop and say that Jodie Foster, not only do I love and respect her and have pretty much my entire life, Jodie Foster is one of my favorite lesbians. So the movie's been in the news recently. Nobody knows if it's going to get released because the star of The Beaver, the person who I shared Jodie Foster's Beaver with, is Mel Gibson. And well, we're not exactly sure he's a big box office draw anymore. So the movie's in limbo. It's doing a couple of art houses. But I just saw it when I went to um, see Insidious, it was on their schedule for later next month. So all of a sudden, I've got beaver fever all over again. Because you know what? In the movie, just to prove it, I'm holding a huge sign, a huge poster board sign that proudly states, I have beaver fever. It's a shame that movie's not going to come out because my mother would be so proud. Thank you for calling, Hogan. Bastard. There you Hey, Patrick, it's Joe and Cincy again. Hey, Joe from Cincy. I wanted to What's call going on? and I wanted to apologize for the zombardedness of my last call in. <laughs> um, okay, I had uh, wanted to call in for you know a few weeks to you know review those movies I'd seen, but I just kind of building it up and building it up until I just couldn't hold it in any longer. Ooh, I just had woof. a call, and it all just kind of blurted out into to a pretty long message. I'm sorry. I need a pre-moist And I, now. listening to the show, I realized I say you know a lot, and I have that problem when I call Armchair Survivor too. And I'll you know? Do my best you to do. Stop doing it cause <laughs> it's annoying. It annoys me. Uh, it's annoying to hear myself do it, so I will do my best not to do it. But... Um, the movie you wanted to review this past Saturday or to have an Xbox viewing party. Yes. Um, it didn't happen, but mm. I, I was bored today and decided, you know, that movie looks pretty interesting. Plus, you know, because it had some hot guys on the cover. We're or talking about the, the Gay Bed and Breakfast of Terror, poster. listeners. So I thought, you know, why not watch it? So 
I decided to watch it today and Netflix and um, just thought I would kind of give you my take on the movie. Let her rip, bitch. I, I thought it was necessary. Um, I, I enjoyed watching the movie overall. Uh, it was a good filler for the afternoon. Um, okay. I found some pretty, you know, some pretty strong weak points. For me. <laughs> really? Um, some things I found annoying about the movie. I felt like the person who wrote the movie script decided, you know, I am going to throw in every, you know, kind of gay stereotype all into one movie. Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be great. Um, no, no. But I just found that, I thought it was very nauseating. Yeah, me too. You know, because you're, in the movie, I said, you know, again, damn it. In the movie, you have the bull dykes, you know, Strong masculine dyke. Yes. You have the lipstick lesbians. Yes. And on the the gay male side, you have the leather daddy. Mm. You have the you know uberly preppy gays with you know all sporty and shit. And then you have the drag queen. Um, you know, just like very strong gay stereotypes all in one movie. Then you know you have the ultra-conservative Christian right, you know. And it's like, you know, it's like, I think the scariest thing in this movie probably should be that ultra-conservative Christian right. Yeah. Republican. I guess. Or, or whatever it is. That's supposed to be the horror of the movie, but yet, you know, I'm so over that. That wasn't so scary for me, you know. No. You know, we've gotten over that in the past when get over before, you know, that's, that's the least of our worries. There's worse yeah, but what about the world. slug boy? Or, the Republican slug boy? Some people may think that. That's, what, that's my opinion. Um, so, you know, that part was annoying. Uh-huh. But the good part of the movie, there were some hot men in this movie. There were, yeah. You know, I was like, fuck the horror, fuck horror, just what? fuck. Because, man, oh my God, the men what? in this movie were hot. And you know, just watching it for the the hot men in this movie, you know, made it worth my afternoon. Okay. So, Yay. When it comes down to it, you know, if you are a, you know, if you're a gay guy and you want to see some hot men, watch this movie. You get to see some action. You know. I mean, otherwise, you know, it's not the best movie, but it was a good filler. That's all I had. Thanks, Patrick. Thank Bye. You, Joe. If you caught last week's show, you might have a better idea of what Joe was talking about. Because this call is actually two weeks old now. Or actually two shows old now, I should say. Um, quick catch up. I had announced a Netflix viewing party of the Gay Bed and Breakfast of Terror one Saturday night. Oh, probably almost a month ago now. Uh, last minute, I had to cancel. Joe watched it anyway. However, Joe called in this review last week. And I said I was going to review it this week. So I said I would hold off playing the call till now. I'm going to hold off reviewing the movie until after Joe's second call because I believe he called in about the movie again. So let's do that. Hey, Patrick. It's Joe again. Oh, my God. Uh, it's Joe. A couple of things I forgot to add to my last call in about the uh, Gabe and a Breakfast of Terror. I'm all ears. Uh, you know, I, I was saying how nauseating um, all the stereotypes that they had, um, just the assemblage of stereotypes from uh, from the gay community. Mm-hmm. The three, the three other stereotypes that I forgot was, you know, the sad, kind of frumpy, 
fag hag. Fag hag. She was annoying. Has to live vicariously through her best gay male friends. Sucking the life out of them. Life of her own. That was one of them. There was the twink, and then there was the sugar daddy. So I just had to. I just had to call in because I forgot both. But anyway, so I just thought that the the story would have been more effective as if they had, uh, I guess, more interesting development of characters and just not picked, like, stereotypes and just threw them all together in a pot. Uh, I thought, uh, so, basically, you know, that's it. Cause huh, okay. It, it just it made it for very tedious uh, to watch. So. That's it. Thanks, yeah. Patrick. Bye. I concur. Bye. That's my line. Okay, Joe, those were very excellent points about the movie. Now, um, when I decided that I was going to cover this film, some of you might remember, I said it was directed by an old friend of mine, Sean Abley. I misspoke. He's actually a producer. He's a writer. He's a screenwriter and a producer. He's not a director that I know of yet. Sean, if you're listening and I'm wrong, fly to New York and kick my ass. Buy a plane ticket for me to go to L.A., kick my ass, and then pay for my ticket home. How about that one? Okay. So, yes, he produced this movie. And for a while, it was fun. Okay, just let me give you a quick plot synopsis. It's this big circuit party weekend. I guess it's the blue party, they call it, which, whatever. And all these various gay and lesbian folk head to this bed and breakfast in the middle of nowhere because all the other cool hotels are booked. And the place is run by this, you know, batshit crazy uh, religious fundamentalist woman and her freako daughter and their mutant slug son that they keep locked up in the... Well, I don't know why they keep him locked up, but he's supposed to be locked up somewhere, but he's not. He's running around slugging people. Uh, I wish there was more to say about it. It just it did, did, didn't do much for me. The comedy wasn't funny. It wasn't scary enough. And, uh, yeah, there were some pretty guys to look at, but that doesn't really hold that long for me because they're not that great. One of that, that one guy looks like Frankenstein. You know who I'm talking about. Um, and as for stereotypes, yes, they are stereotypes. And, you know, it is a slasher movie, and they always work with stereotypes, so that doesn't bother me. Uh, it's just that they didn't put anything on top of the stereotypes. It wasn't like, this is the um, bull dyke lesbian who also, I don't know, is a marathon runner. Or this is the drag queen who has an irrational fear of Fig Newtons. I don't know. It just There was no layers to these characters. It was just like, here's the stereotype, and that's all you got. Uh, stereotypes exist for a reason, especially in storytelling, and this, especially in this kind of a storytelling. It kind of just sets a framework for you to put something on top of, but there was nothing, they didn't put anything on top of it. So it was boring. And, and plus, they were all really obnoxious, and you know how I feel about this in movies. I want to kind of sort of like somebody in a horror movie that I'm watching, not loathe everybody. And these were all the worst examples of the worst kinds of gay stereotypes, but, you know, okay. Actually, it's not true. It wasn't completely boring. It was kind of fun for a while. But seriously, the last... 20 minutes? I'm guessing it's 20 minutes because it felt like an hour. It just hits this wall and it gets really talky and really preachy and it just feels like it's going to... I don't even remember how it really ended. Like, some of the characters, I know they died, but what they ha- what happened to them, I don't know what happened because it just was phasing out. Now, I was watching this with Joe and Janae Janiah and, you know, I was having cocktails with Mr. Brad and everything and we were having cocktails and not laughing or making comments. After a while. That's that's how not impressive this movie is. Plus, I'm not sure how I was supposed to feel about everything at the end of it all. Because, like I said, this is fundamental religious Christians murdering gay people simply for the fact that they're gay because they were killing these people to cure their homosexuality. But then at the end, okay, spoiler, spoiler, turn it off, fast forward about two minutes. Two of the gay characters, um, 
a gay and lesbian character all of a sudden mystically become straight and take over the place themselves and continue the killing of gay people. And I, I don't know how I was supposed to feel about that except Oogie. However, my friend Sean uh, did have a cameo at the end there, which was cool. He was one of the, uh, the bears to check in at the end when the new owners have taken over. And um, it was cool to see him and stuff, but uh, I wish I could have seen him in something else. And um, I wish I had more to say about this movie, And um, but I don't. I like the opening credits, though. The opening credits had this cool song with this girl and, like, doing a go-go thing. And, you know, it set up a movie that didn't happen. So, Gay Bed and Breakfast of Terror, meh. Drusilla Bloom was right. I dodged a bullet by missing it the first time, but I walked headlong into it this time. But at least I had good company watching it. Right, Joe? Right, Janae and Janaya? Right, Bradford? But for those of you who want to join uh, for the next Netflix viewing party, be sure to be following me on the Twitter or on the Facebook. And follow me at Screen Queens on the Twitter, not my other account, because I don't tell people on that account. I'm babbling. Next call. Hey, Patrick. Um, this is Sebastian. I'm calling from L.A. Sebastian. Podcast. From... Love it. Whoa, 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 Hold on just a second here, everybody. Sebastian from L.A. I don't recognize that name. And that can only mean one thing. It's a first-time caller! Okay, now what were you saying? Hey, Patrick. Um, this is Sebastian. I'm calling from L.A. Hi, Sebastian. Podcast. Love it. Think you're funny and smart and all that. Thank Although you, sometimes sir. Sometimes I can't listen to you when I'm hungover because you yell a lot. What? But, you know, you're called Scream Queen, so fuck me, right? Anyways, <laughs> last right. night I saw the Reanimator musical here <gasps> in L.A. Last <gasps> week previews. I know you like musicals. Oh. It was fan-fucking-tastic. Wow. I haven't seen any of the other horror movie musicals, but I have to say with ignorant authority that this is the best. Got great gags, lots of blood, oh. uh, and the David Gale character, I forget the name, Dr. Hill, That's when Hill. he has his severed head and he's walking around. He's walking around the stage holding his own severed head and singing. It is incredible. That's I guarantee awesome. you will have your mind blown if you get a chance to see this. If it travels, see it. It oh, is God. freaking great. And um, if you ever want to come to L.A. to see it, you can crash on my couch. Anyways, Careful, um, Tiger. love the show. Just wanted to let you know about how fucking awesome Reanimator the Musical is. Sweet. Okay, see you. Bye. Bye. Whoa. You know, Sebastian, first of all, you're awesome because you have the same name as one of my cats, the cat that thinks he rules the universe and thinks he's a Vita, who stands in the window pretending that he's Ava Perone on the balcony of the Casa Rosada. Don't cry for me in New York City. But that's not the point right now. Your first call, Sebastian, has got me green with envy. Oh, my God. I had heard about that. Actually, my friend Owen is apparently made up because he's never coming on the damn show, even though he said he was going to. Lying bitch. I know you're listening. Oh. He is a playwright, and he is a composer, and I believe he bid on that when the title was up for sale, and he didn't get it. But So he'll be really jealous, too. Okay, two things, though. A, if there is an original cast recording, I want it. Either buy it for me, and I'll send you money, or if it's on Amazon or something, let me know where to get it. I need it. And second of all, how did they do the big scene? You know, the big... You know, severed head cunnilingus scene because I'm curious how to handle that tastefully on stage. Also, I'd be afraid that her vagina would start singing, but that's just me. Or is it just me? As long as it doesn't explode, I'm happy. And careful about your invitations there, Tiger. 
I've got friends in the airline industry and I get buddy passes, but that sounds amazing. Just you wait. I might be knocking on your door. But not like the guys did in that movie, Someone's Knocking on the Door, because that was gross. Um, I'm uncomfortable now, so we're going to move on to another call. Thanks for calling, Sebastian. Hi, Patrick. It's Sebastian. Sorry, I forgot to mention a few hey, things. I no was problem. so excited. Anyways, um, the reason why it's so good, as you probably know, is it's directed by Stuart Gordon, who is a really? director of plays, so he knows what he's doing. I also, had no idea. Um, you know, you can actually read my real review on my blog, Sebastian is Watching. Dot blogspot.com uh, scribbling and, furiously um well there's something else oh yeah and a uh, gay icon scott thompson from kids in the hall was there oh was um, he i said hi for you he said he remembered you um from that night what? that you shared together <sighs> so many years ago anyways love you bye so this is the way it's going to be between us is it my ex-lovers blab a secret to you and you just tell the entire internet I like that. I should hire you as a publicist. <laughs> so I, I'm already as envious as I could possibly be. Thank you for rubbing my nose in it. Um, I had no idea Stuart Gordon, A, directed that, or B, directed plays at all. And actually, that made me happy because I was thinking in my head, because where else would I think? I was thinking, you know, I hope that it would be faithful. or Because a lot of times when things get adapted for the stage... And some other people get involved, it loses a lot. Like, the Evil Dead musical was fun, but uh, there was a lot that did just... It's hard to describe, but it just didn't capture it for me. Like, there was the whole gore fest at the end, and it went for cheap laughs, and it was fun for the evening, but eh, didn't resonate. But if it's directed by Stuart Gordon, you're going to get a whole other... Sick, a whole... I think that there would be a congruous integrity to the whole production for me to be all farty and stuffy about it. But it just makes it more awesome, is what I'm saying. And plus, if Stuart Gordon directed it, that means there's probably a good amount of money behind it, which means there probably is going to be an original cast recording, and it just might tour, or it might open here. Oh. 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 The wistful dreams of a starry-eyed man-child in New York City. Now you all have to figure out if I'm starry-eyed dreaming about seeing the Reanimator musical or reminiscing about my night with Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall. Okay, you know what? When the show has degenerated to the point where I'm planting seeds of erotic fantasy involving me and Buddy Cole, it is time to wrap this puppy up. I hope all of you have had as great a time listening to this as I have had recording it, because I love doing this. I don't know if I'm conveying this in my voice and my attitude all the time, but I love putting out this show for you guys. So I hope you're enjoying it, goddammit. Be grateful. Thankless bitches. <laughs> um, okay, so next week is Horror Hound Weekend for me. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to be reviewing. Uh, there's always a whole bunch of movies that premiere there. Usually, last year was kind of a disappointment, but that's besides the point. So I don't know what's on the schedule yet. So it'll be a grab bag. But Mr. Brad will probably be joining me because he's joining me for the weekend. And I'll make him because he hasn't been on the show in a really long time. And I'm sure you're all clamoring to hear more from Mr. Brad. Seriously, there's no sarcasm there. Y'all seem to like him. However, I'm going to give you guys a homework assignment because I don't like leaving you guys hanging now that Seder has implemented this whole um, announcing what I'm doing beforehand dealio. So here's your homework assignment for those of you with Netflix Instant Watch. I've watched a couple of movies this week, and I have opinions on them. But I just didn't have time to review them, and I'm not going to have time to review them next week. So it's your job.
Okay, there are three movies I would like you to check out on Netflix Instant Watch. Primal, High Lane, and Finale. Primal, High Lane, and Finale. The first two involve one of my favorite scenarios, which is Stupid Kids in the Woods. Primal is a New Zealand film where these uh, these campers run into some sort of demon-y possession monster thingy. That's all I'm saying. And High Lane is a French film, so we're going very international in which uh, climbers run into, well, run into an unfriendly local in the woods. And finally, Finale. I don't even know how to describe this movie. It's a low-budget movie, supernatural stuff. I'm curious to know what you all think of it. That's all I'm saying. So Primal, High Lane, and Finale. I'd like you all to call in your reviews or write me or whatever. However, if you do call in, I'd like you just to review one movie. You know, if you watch all three, that's great, but just pick one. And keep your reviews under two minutes if you can. Because I want to see how much you guys can come up with. And uh, I think it'll be fun. It'll be an experiment that hopefully won't blow up in our face or kill everybody or cause somebody to grow an extra limb. But we'll see. Of course, if you're going to do that, you're going to need to know how to get in contact with me, right? So you can either write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's queens with a... Say it with me now. With a Z! Or you can call me at 347-767-3509. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. And remember, follow me at Scream Queens, not at my other name. Because if you don't follow me there, you're not going to find out about all the secret giveaways and parties and stuff. Oh, and I just wanted to say thank you, Bill and Tom in Miami Beach, Florida, for your donation. That was very kind of you. Yay! Yay! You guys are the best. The rest of y'all take notice of Bill and Tom. Follow their lead. And, um, well, until next time, everybody, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, You know, sometimes when I look at you, boy, I just smile and say to myself, Christ, what a homo. Bye. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches! <laughs>